Hello and welcome to our first episode of Storying History, our new series where we're going to delve into the question of what actually is history. So I suppose a little introduction would be good. Hello, I'm Rob and thankfully for both myself and anyone listening, I'm not alone today. I'm actually lucky enough to be joined by Catherine. Hi. And Alicia. Hello. Who are both going to help bring the brains to this conversation. I'm just going to guide us through it. So, as I say, we're going to have a little look at what is history. You know, it's something we study at school. It's something you can go look at in art galleries. You can go see in museums, you know, two things that come with their own debates very much so. And it's something that regularly gets brought to life in films, plays and TV series. An example being the recent Netflix series Queen, Queen Charlotte, a Bridgerton story. Have either of you seen it? Yes, yeah, great. Well, I think it's great. It is. It is great. Um, but uh, what's great is it's relevant, so I get to ramble about it for a little bit. Um, because there's been a little bit of commotion around the series because the Queen Charlotte, who is the, who was the Queen Regent of King George III of England, um, was cast as Golda Rochevel and India Arma Tefeo. Definitely just butchered their names. I apologise. But they are two women of colour. So the Queen Charlotte in Bridgerton is depicted as a woman of colour. And then, you know, this is where the controversy has come because everyone, you know, the voices have piped up saying, oh, no, they're changing history. They've they've made her black and, you know, other stuff like that that's politically charged in painful ways. But what these people are ironically missing uh, is that there is actually a major debate about the real race and ethnicity of the real Queen Charlotte. Um I mean, historians such as the Portuguese Mario de Valdes e Concom are actually questioning whether her heritage and the features that she's depicted as having in her portraits actually could suggest that she's not white in the first place um, and that maybe she's actually just one of the major cases of whitewashing in history. Which brings us full circle to what I was originally starting with, with what is history? Um, as Carl questioned in his 1961 book, What is History?, what is the criterion which distinguishes the facts from history from other facts of the past? What is a historical fact? When we talk about history, whose history is being told, through which lens do we see the past? And is the way that history is being reported maybe evolving? And if so, is that a good thing? So that's my little introduction to what we're going to talk about. Who wants to maybe kick us off? Alicia, any thoughts? Yes, on all of that? that sounds so interesting, Rob. And today I want to discuss the term critical fabulation. Ooh. Now you might ask yourself, what is critical fabulation? I am, tell me more. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. Thank you. It's a term coined by the literary scholar Sadia Hartman and it offers a unique approach to storytelling and historical interpretation. It challenges, challenges the notion that there is only one definitive objective truth or historical account. Instead, critical fabulation combines facts and fiction to fill in the gaps of the historical record, emphasising the power of imaginative storytelling in exposing social inequalities, power dynamics and oppressive structures. This method allows authors and thinkers to blend multiple sources of knowledge, weaving together different perspectives and voices. By embracing diverse possibilities, alternative histories and utopian visions, critical fabulation inspires readers to imagine and work towards more just and inclusive futures. I want to first take a look at how critical fabulation appears in literature. So let's start with the translated version of Vaislava van Suriname, or We Slaves of Suriname. A great book. Yeah. 
We Slaves of Suriname is a book written by Anton de Combe, a Surinamese writer and activist. While the book is not explicitly categorised as critical fabulation, it does incorporate elements of critical imagination and alternative historical perspectives. The book was published in 1934 and it explores the history of Suriname with a particular focus on the transatlantic slave trade and its impact on Surinamese society. Decom's work exposes colonial oppression, slavery and the resistance of Afro-Surinamese population. It combines historical research with interpretive elements presenting alternative perspectives and giving a voice to the oppressed communities. In this way, We Slaves of Suriname challenges dominant historical narratives and encourages readers to critically reflect on the complexities of Surinamese history. Yeah, your point on the existence of dominant historical narratives is key to our overarching question, I think, on what is history. History is often thought of as being about the facts, and we as a society collect those facts from the records that have been written over the years and that have been stored away in the archives. To quote Lana Parry, a historian, these archives are seen as apertures or windows on the past, a way in which we can see what people throughout history did and thought. But this view can lead to us all feeling like the archive tells the whole story, what the philosopher Jacques Derrida refers to as the illusion of being whole. So do archives tell the whole story, or is that, like Derrida says, an illusion? One thing we need to remember is that these archives don't just appear. The documents in them were written down by someone, someone who was literate, who had access to a way of writing, and often someone who was well-respected enough for their writing to be stored away safely. And somebody has made a decision that these texts are the ones which are important enough to, to take a place in a historical archive. Sometimes a different archivist could have made a different decision on what to include. This leads to the violence of the archive. By only including the writings of the most powerful people, these people's views are reproduced and encouraged, while other people's views are silenced. Yeah, and I mean, I think just generally history is worth reflecting upon critically because as Duca von Ustrom points out in his article from 2020 that goes over Vaislava, uh, Surinamese history has been narrativized by the Dutch who had, you know, full reign of creating the colonial narrative that they had. Yeah, definitely. Vaislava is a really great example of a text which provides contrast to the history books which are narrated by Dutch writers. As we know, not everybody's words have or have had the same chances of getting published or read. Libraries, whether big public libraries or ones tucked away in research institutions and universities, choose which texts they're going to purchase and which ones they're going to let their visitors read. There's a philosopher called Trevor Owen Jones who talks about how this affects the way in which we view philosophy and goes as far as saying that the library terrorises humanity because of the control it has on the way we think about philosophy. Perhaps the same can be said about its effects on the perceptions of history. It's often been the people who had the most power whose stories have been recorded. In the context of slavery and colonialism, that often means that the white colonialists and slave owners' voices have been louder than those of the people most affected, the people who who were enslaved. That's something that's starting to change. Like Alicia said, We Slaves was published in 1934. This is the first known Surinamese history book to be written by a Surinamese person. Yet, it's only just last year that this book was finally published in an English translation, making it accessible to readers outside of the Dutch-speaking world. Finally. Yeah. It's so great it's now available in English, because We Slaves of Suriname is one of a fairly limited collection of books to focus on the lives of the enslaved as seen from the enslaved perspective. Decom's writing always brings the enslaved people's experiences to the fore, 
For example, while Western historians have often focused on the Dutch explorer Molinet when exploring his expedition in Suriname, de Combe instead focuses on the Surinamese people who resisted him, ending one chapter with the line, Brave Seri, brave Flora, we will always commemorate and honour your names. Even in We Slaves, however, you can sometimes see the violence of the archive peeking through. De Combe was writing 70 years after slavery was abolished in Suriname, so while there's plenty, of course, it would have been handed down between the generations, he also re- did rely on the written records. These had often been left by plantation owners or the colonial council, so at times it is their version of events we hear, when discussing a list of punishments that enslaved people were subjected to, for example. But even in that section, Decom is there to balance out the story, explaining, for example, that at one point when these punishments were used, it was because an enslaved man had been falsely accused of attempting to poison his master, making the recorded brutal punishment even more horrifying. Okay, let's delve into a few examples from the text that showcase critical fabulation then. In one passage, Decom writes, Up here you hear the cry of the albatross, the song of the sailors and the crash of the waves. Down there you hear the cries of the slaves, the wails of a woman in labour and the crack of the whip coming down on the backs of the blacks. You will not take any pleasure in what lies below the decks, the squalid breeding grounds of filth and vermin where the men and women, separated, all chained up, then packed together to save space, cry out their despair. You too must send some part of the despair and sorrow of the blacks dragged out of their homes, far from their families, seasick and malnourished, full of dread at their unknown destination. This quote transports us to the depths of history. It immerses us in the harrowing experiences of the enslaved. It juxtaposes, it juxtaposes the sounds of freedom and beauty above decks, the cries of the albatross and the songs of the sailors, along with the haunting sounds below the decks, the cries of the slaves, the wails of a woman in labour and the cracks of the whip. By vividly describing these grimy conditions, the separation of families and the physical and emotional suffering endured by the enslaved, Decom challenges the prevailing narratives that justify and normalise slavery. He invites us to confront the harsh realities and acknowledge the depth of despair experienced by those who were forcibly taken from their homes. Through this imaginative engagement, Decom amplifies the voices and experiences of the silenced, inviting empathy and honouring the humanity of the enslaved. His use of critical fabulation disrupts the erasure of their stories and invites us to critically reflect on the profound impact of their struggles on the fabric of our shared history. We Slaves of Suriname serves as a powerful critique of colonialism and racial oppression in Suriname. Decom's courageous act of reclaiming the narratives and experiences of the enslaved challenges the dominant historical accounts and offers a different perspective on the complex history of the region. Let's take a look at another novel known as Jaguar Man, written by Raoul de Jong. This novel explores storytelling, imagination and personal reflection to challenge dominant narratives surrounding race and cultural heritage. Through creative inquiry and alternative storytelling, de Jong opens up new possibilities for understanding identity and disrupts traditional notions of ancestry. Now, to fully appreciate the themes within Jaguar Man and its connection to critical fabulation, let's begin by delving into the background history of the author, Raoul de Jong. Born to a Dutch mother and Surinamese father, de Jong's multi- multicultural heritage serves as a significant influence on his work. 
Suriname, a former Dutch colony in South America, boasts a diverse population of African, Indian, indigenous and other descent. Exploring themes of identity, belonging and cultural change, de Jong has become an advocate for diversity and inclusion in the arts and media. In Jaguar Man, we witness a protagonist embarking on a journey to reconnect with his Surinamese roots upon meeting his Surinamese father. This exploration of heritage and identity strongly resonates with de Jong's own experiences and his commitment to amplifying marginalised voices. Yeah, de Jong's great, isn't he? He really is. He is. He's a real up-and-coming Dutch Surinamese writer. And Michiel van Kemper, who specialises in Dutch Caribbean writing at the University of Amsterdam, knows that some of de Jong's works could really be considered academic texts because of this amount of history that they're bringing to them. I am really hopeful for an English version of Jaguar Man to come soon. I think, as well as we said, you know, it's great that Veslava has been translated. I think Definitely. this is also a key text yeah. for people Definitely. in the UK to read. I believe there is one in the works, actually. I also saw yeah. this. Excellent news. I'm yeah, it's on its way. excited for it to They're come out. On it. <laughs> um, it is a really gripping read. It's written like an adventure novel, but it explores some of the culture, the voodoo beliefs, the traditional medicines of Suriname, as well as the author's own Surinamese roots. It's semi-autobiographical, and when he talks of his protagonist's feelings, his sterke verbinding mit seinen Vorauders, or strong connection to his ancestors, for example, you can really hear de Jong's own voice coming through there. Definitely. Jaguar Man incorporates elements of critical fabulation as well, as it combines storytelling, imagination, and personal reflection. By looking to in, into his personal history and fam- familial connections, de Jong examines the impact of colonisation on his mixed-race identity. Through imaginative storytelling, he opens up new possibilities for reconstructing his own narrative and questioning broader narratives surrounding race and heritage. The use of storytelling allows de Jong to bridge gaps in historical knowledge and reimagine events, presenting, thus presenting a counter-narrative to the prevailing discourse. By drawing upon personal experiences... He creates a nuanced understanding of identity that goes beyond essentialized notions. Let's explore an example from Jaguar Man where critical fabulation becomes evident. In this quote, de Jong reflects on his an- ancestral identity. Je stamt niet af van slaven, je stamt af van jaguars, van mensen die konden toveren en alles wat ze konden lieve vader is via jou bij mij gekomen. You do not descend from slaves, you descend from jaguars, from people who could perform magic and everything they were capable of. Dear father has been passed down to me through you. This quote shows critical fabulation through its imaginative and speculative exploration of lineage and ancestral identity. De Jong asserts that his lineage is not defined by the history of enslavement, but rather traces back to jaguars, symbolic of power and magic. I really agree with you there. The representation of Surinamese people as strong, powerful jaguars and the Dutch colonists as hunters is really powerful imagery. The portrayal of Surinamese people as the protagonists, as the ones with the power, is really a way of flipping the switch on the way that Surinamese history has has been frequently told from the colonial records. Yeah, and by reframing his ancestry in this way, the quote challenges dominant narratives that often reduce marginalised individuals to their history of oppression. He introduces a speculative element. Telling of lineage um, allows for a reclamation of power and identity by asserting that everything that ancestors were capable of has been passed down to them. 
The narrator highlights the potential and strength within themselves. It opens up possibilities for reimagining narratives and disrupting the conventional understanding of ancestry. And you know, this actually, all listening to you two talk just then, makes me think of another concept that I had a little look at, non-history. Um, and that's similar to what you were just describing with okay. critical fabulation. Interesting. Um, there's Tell no, me more. I will. There is, there's <laughs> no like set definition that at least that I could find. Okay. Um, but it's basically the idea about thinking about topics or subjects that are not traditionally considered part of like mainstream historical study. And I feel like Jaguar Man is actually quite a good example of this um, because it's writing the wrong, um, that there's been a lack of Surinamese voices in their own national narratives. Um, on page 29 of the book, De Jong points out um, that as I dacht an Suriname, dank vaam ik niet veel verder dan desi bouterse en broodjes zoutvlees. Ik wist van Suriname wat je als gemilde Nederlander weet niet zo veel. Um, with this whole conversation continuing on page 38, where he's then talking about um, a shelf at a bookshop, and it's being full of books of Indonesia, um, and there literally being one uh, book on Suriname, and it was written by two white Dutch men. Typical. Yeah, um, and, he, and he says, Ik wil de niet weten hoe twee witte Nederlanders dachten over Surinaamse politiek. So, through this book, which isn't historical per se, uh, you follow the story of de Jong and his discovery of everything Surinamese, as you were just talking about. Um, we actually then come to learn about some of the unsung heroes of Surinamese national identity, um, such as Decom. He talks about him, and I think your, the conversation you were just having, so you can see the similarities between de Jong's work and Decom's. But so de Jong talks about Decom. He talks about the playwright and anti-fascist organiser Lau Lichtveld and Theo Comvalius, uh, who secretly wrote books about Surinamese traditions that the Dutch had banned. So these voices are brought to the front and he uses a different framing of his national, like his nation's history to give the voice back to the people who should be doing the talking, giving them back their power um, and their identity, as I think you were just saying, Alicia. Yeah, so the quote reflects critical fabulation. It asserts agency and offers alternative perspectives on history. And essentially what de Jong wants to do is he wants to invite readers to look at these narratives and look at the history and identity in the book and look into your past, just as he has, yeah. like, I guess, as he looked into his past yeah. on, on Suriname. And, and discovered more than I think he realised he would. Yeah, definitely, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Jaguar Man serves as a reminder that history is not a fixed and objective truth, but a complex tapestry of diverse experiences and perspectives. De Jong urges us to listen to the silent stories and create a space for alternative histories to be heard. Now let's turn our attention to the play Ixech Toksori and explore how it employs critical fabulation to examine the complexities of acknowledging and apologising for historical injustices. Now, the play is set in year, this year, actually, 2023, year. and it delves into the lingering repercussions of the abolition of slavery in 1863. It raises thought-provoking questions about the significance of saying sorry for events that transpired a long time ago. Let's dive into an extract from the play that demonstrates um, critical fabulation in action. 
De goede koning Willem III heeft met een pennenstreek een einde gemaakt aan de slavernij in de kolonieën. Dit is mijn moeder. Van haar heb ik geleerd dat koning Willem III een heldenrol heeft gespeeld bij de afschaffing van de slavernij. Ik denk dat zij daarom zo koningsgezind is. Wij geloven in God en de koning, mijn zoon. Dat hoort bij elkaar. Dat heeft niets met de slavernij te maken. Wij vieren elk jaar koning, Koningendag en nu Koningsdag. En Prinsjesdag, dat vieren we ook elk jaar. Wist u dat er op die gouden koets allerlei... Angela, doe dat again. <laughs> Wist u dat er op die gouden koets allerlei tafelen geschilderd zijn met zwarte tot slaafgemaakten? Ach, dat heeft toch niets te betekenen. Hoezo heeft dat niks te be- betekenen? Het huis van Oranje krijgt altijd te maken met smaad en laatste. En daar moet je niets van geloven. Maar het zijn gewoon afbeelding van zwarte slaven. Nou, ben jij racistisch, jongen? Wie zegt dat het slaven zijn? Nou, ze doen al het werk voor een paar witte mensen die hoog op een stoel zitten en zijn halfnaakt. Het is ook maar net wat je wil zien, jongen. Door ze slaaf te noemen, ben jij degene die ze tot slaaf maakt. So we can see in this dialogue between the mother and the presenter, the essence of critical fabulation is encapsulated. The mother presents a narrative that attributes the abolition of slavery to King Willem III, portraying him as a heroic figure. However, the presenter challenges this narrative by introducing the fact that the golden carriage used depicts scenes of enslaved individuals. And I mean, that's another great example of how deeply the powerful voices held in the records affect our society. It's not just about what we can read in the pages of a history book, but also the things we see around us, like the golden carriages used for important Mm. processions. Yeah, and the mother's dismissive response highlights the resistance to questioning established narratives and symbols. She she accuses the presenter of racism and inserts that interpretations of the images on the carriage are subjective. Through this exchange, the play critically examines the construction of history, shedding light on the omission of marginalised perspectives and the ways in which dominant narratives can distort the truth. The dialogue also raises important questions about power dynamics and the assignment of meanings to symbols. By challenging the mother's perspective and asserting the significance of the enslaved figures depicted on the carriage, the presenter disrupts the prevailing narrative and invites a critical examination of established knowledge. Overall, this extract showcases critical fabulation by questioning dominant narratives, challenging established knowledge, emphasizing the importance of critically engaging with historical representations and perspectives. And yeah, we definitely need to critically engage with it and not just accept things yeah. for what they are because it's, sure. it's clear that everything's got a bias and that, you know, as we've said, there's always someone talking. Um, so I suppose to round off for today, um, I think we've all raised some interesting points and established that what is history? Complex. That is really what it is. Definitely. It's a collection of stories, voices, and perhaps most notably, conflicts and fights for power. Mm-hmm. Um, the concept of history, you know, it's always changing, it's evolving. Um, and the things that we've discussed today hopefully maybe show that the long process of uh, addressing, fully acknowledging, and to the extent that it's possible, correcting. Some of the many, many wrongs from the past and their residual consequences is starting to be undertaken, um, at least in the world of historical thought as we 
correct those narratives or start to at least. Thank you. It's been great discussing with you both today. Likewise. Likewise. Speak to you again soon. Bye. Bye now. <laughs>